You're listening to the Law Careers Net podcast, a monthly podcast designed to give you everything you need to know about becoming a lawyer. Hello and welcome back to the Law Careers Net podcast, sponsored by the University of Law. This morning I recorded a conversation with Emily Digby, who is a future trainee solicitor at White and Case, and I'm really excited to share what we spoke about with you all. We chatted about how to make the most of virtual vacation schemes, what it's like to be a socially mobile candidate entering the legal profession, and more generally, diversity and inclusion in law firms. Emily even shared her top tips and common mistakes that she sees in other candidates' applications at the end. And I think you'll want to stay tuned for that because she makes some really good points. Enjoy. Emily, thanks for coming on the Law Careers Net podcast. Would you like to start by introducing yourself? Hi, Beth. Thanks so much for having me on. So for the listeners at home, I'm Emily Digby and I'm a future trainee solicitor at White and Case. So you have just got your training contract offer, which is very, very exciting and congratulations. But you did it by uh, recently completing a virtual vacation scheme. So perhaps we can start by telling us how that went for you, because I'm sure a lot of students might be having virtual back schemes coming up in the summer or they're wondering how they might have worked virtually. So how did it go for you? Definitely. Well, it exceeded all of my expectations. I've done a couple now and they are certainly different to what you'd usually expect. You know, no socials at the Shard or the London Eye, but the escape rooms are just as fun. Um, I would say that you actually get more of an opportunity to network with people, meet people from different offices. I spoke to someone in a Brussels office, which is just so much fun. And with virtual vacation schemes, it's good to be in the comfort of your own home. You've got all of the opportunity to sort of excel then you you know you're relaxed you've got sort of everything around you that you need I was at home with my family so they were all on board you know making me meals when I've had a tiring day (laughs) so actually the virtual vacation scheme experience is so great it's very different but I would say that look look at the positives it was almost a blessing in, in disguise for me and did you feel like you managed to get a good sense of the firm and its culture by not being in the office? How did that kind of work? Not just the work itself, but kind of the people there and, and the culture, as I said. Absolutely. Yeah, everyone was just so friendly and they have a messaging tool called Jabba, sort of like WhatsApp, <laughs> but a yeah. professional version. And so you can reach out to anyone at the firm at any time, even from different offices. And I got a real good sense of the culture because my trainee buddy was just so supportive and she actually got me involved in some of the work for the Singapore office. So you get a real sense of, you know, being part of a big network. You get given your own email, you get given your own workload, you get a supervisor. And so I think it's actually a lot easier to do it virtually than go around and knocking people's doors. You know, people might find that intimidating, but when it's just a Zoom call, it's a little bit sort of less pressurized you're able to just be yourself and I think that that's a really good positive thing especially for social social mobile candidates you know people aren't judging you on necessarily how you look but you know how you conduct yourself and that is quite difficult virtually how you come across your body language but as I say I had such a great time at the firm the culture was amazing and they put on a lot of presentations you know firms work really hard to give you a sense of what their cultures like and their people and so every day is jam-packed with presentations and everyone's so on board to have for having you know virtual coffees with people so the the culture just shone for me and I knew that I really wanted to work with with these people again I felt like these were my colleagues 
That's great. I think a lot of students have been kind of worried about how virtual back schemes might work. But we're obviously, unfortunately, now a year into the pandemic or over that now. So I think, you know, firms have adapted and it's great to see that perhaps, you know, going forward, you know, some vaccines might be able to take place virtually. It makes it more accessible for, for people not having to travel, that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's great to hear. And we were just speaking before we um, started recording about how you knew that this was the firm for you and you you wanted to accept that that offer straight away, even though you had back schemes lined up later in, in, in the year. So I just wanted maybe just a, a short little summary of how, how you knew and for anyone else who um, maybe gets an offer and, and they're not sure, how did you know to make that decision and, and decide to take the training contract offer? That's a really interesting question because it's so hard to describe. You just know I loved every single second and the two weeks absolutely flew by. I couldn't believe it. And I was actually sad at the prospect of leaving at the end of the two weeks. And that's how I knew because I'd enjoyed it so much. I felt like I'd made such great connections with people that I didn't want to let that go. And everyone always says you shouldn't, you know, pick a firm on the people. And I didn't. I picked it on opportunity. For me, it just ticked every single box that I was looking for. You write an application and you say, I'm interested in this, I'm interested in this, I'm interested in this. And seeing that in real life at a virtual VAC scheme was just incredible. And so for me, really hard to describe it because it's just a feeling. But I just, I just knew that I felt comfortable and I felt valued and people treated me like a person, not just a candidate. Great. And it's nice to hear a bit of your thought process. If you know, you know. <laughs> so um, it was great that it was an easy decision for you. Perhaps before we move on, you can just maybe give, if you have any advice for students who are going to be completing virtual vacation schemes, what, what would you say to do and, and how did you prepare? Yeah, so I have a few points, actually. Firstly, as soon as you get your agenda look through it and if there are any presentations for example presentation with bank finance partners research that online and get some broad questions down so that when you come to the presentation you look prepared it's even better say if you're given the name of a partner research what they've done their past deals work that you know they've been working on offices that they work quite closely with maybe even look at their LinkedIn to give yourself a broad idea of what that presentation is going to be about and help you stand out because coming on to the second point now you know this tip that I've got it's really important to stay engaged it's quite hard on a virtual vac scheme to to wake up every day you know zoom fatigue is real and you have to be careful with that because you know you need to take breaks as and when you can but that's also the beauty of virtual vac scheme if you feel you need to break just turn your you know camera off go get a coffee, come back. So I would say always remain engaged and you can do that through questions, body language, sp smiling, nodding. And then thirdly, go in there with an idea of what you want to get out of the virtual vacation scheme. Are you sat in a department and actually it was maybe your third choice and you want to talk to this department? Make connections. You're not stuck in your own department. Not at all. Everyone's so interested in speaking to you and sharing their ideas with you. So branch out and be confident. And so lastly, just enjoy it. It really is so important to enjoy it. And if you're not enjoying it, there's no harm in that. You, it might not be the firm for you and that's completely okay. It's a two-way process and you need to understand whether you know a place where you're going to be spending years of your life is right for you. And if, if you're not enjoying it, then that's completely fine as well. But I loved my time and I'm, I'm sure everyone else does as well. That's brilliant advice. Yes, vacation schemes and, you know, whether they're virtual or in person and any kind of work experience really is a two-way process. As you said, it's not just you trying to impress impress the firm, which of course is part of it, is, you know, maybe half of it, but it's your chance to kind of find out, right, what, it, what it's like and, 
you know, obviously you had an amazing experience, which really solidified to you that that was where you wanted to work. But if that's not the case, then that's all part of your research. And, you know, it's a good reason you've had the experience. It's not for you um, to start, you know, narrowing down other options and, and thinking about looking elsewhere. So great advice. So let's move on. You've spoken before about being a socially mobile candidate. So I was just wondering if we could have a chat about that and you can tell, tell us what that has meant for your legal career journey. Yeah, it's something that's so important to me. And I always talk about it on LinkedIn or any articles, but it's important to be proud of who you are. So just as a bit of a background about me. Uh, so I'm the first person in my family to probably study higher education, you know, go to uni, pursue a corporate career, specifically in the city. This has never been done in my family before. My journey has been a lot about self-discovery. I know that sounds really cliche, but what actually am I looking for? When I was in primary school, I never could have imagined that I'd be a solicitor at one of the world's top firms. And so it's it's about finding your passions. I think that's important. You know, you go to law fairs and you speak to recruiters and you need to find out what actually are you looking for as a social mobile candidate. You're the first person to do this. So is this actually right for you? It's meant that you have to be confident in yourself. A lot of the time you might find that you get stigma from family members, from friends. I've been told no firm would invest in you. I've had people laugh at me when I tell them that I want to be a solicitor. And you have to realize that when you're a social mobile candidate you're doing this for yourself you're not doing this to impress other people you're doing this because this is genuinely what you want to do as your career and so you have to have this inner sense of belief you know you're you maybe you're not like other people but you have to realize that you've got your own strengths and a firm wants to invest in you and some personality and really shine when you go to open days because you are different and so you need to celebrate that. A lot of socially mobile candidates might be wondering where do they even start because they perhaps don't have the same access to information or the profession as perhaps other people do. So what would you say to that? This is such a good question okay. because I, I wondered this as well. Where do I start? I went to my first law careers fair in 2017, literally the second month of my first year I went and I was completely lost. I didn't know where to start. And that's where your alternative support network comes in, right? Seize every opportunity for work experience because you meet people along the way that really help you out. For example, I work as a program coordinator at an educational technology startup called Talk About, and I've met the most amazing people and particularly um, a woman called Fernanda who mentors me she really does she looks after me in a business sense and she makes sure that I'm being my true authentic self and that's access to information because you're getting an idea of you know people at other firms it doesn't matter if they're a future trainee at a different firm you're getting an idea of what recruiters look for transferable skills these are so important and so I would say you need to develop an alternative support network there's only so much that your family can help with and that's really true it's quite sad to say um you know that your family can't necessarily add value in that that sense but that's when you join diversity agencies so like Stry, for example the mentoring program aspiring solicitors rare this is where all of these organizations are so important in bringing real change to the legal industry so yeah definitely meet as many people as you can and that is your access to information of course there are so many resources online and attending virtual events but real people 
it's true there is a lot of support out there for students and you know there are a lot of resources and all those uh, organizations and initiatives that you just mentioned are really great places for students to start so that's really really good advice you know your first port of call should always be perhaps your careers advisor at uni if you are at uni but I like the idea of like building your own network which is you know be, being proactive joining your student law society as well these are all places you'll be able to get access to information and information about the profession and be able to kind of network and meet meet people um, in the legal industry so that's really good advice what can law firms and you know the legal profession as a whole do to be more inclusive and open for socially mobile candidates do you think I think everything going virtual has been so amazing because it means that people don't have to spend so much money on traveling to these events I remember one time I spent 75 pounds on traveling from Liverpool to home and then to London and it took a while for me to get that back. And for social mobile candidate, this is a lot of money. You know, you need to budget, you need to plan. And so law firms need to, if they're saying that they will subsidise travel, get that back to students quickly because it's so important. We don't have, I don't have my parents paying for that. That's come from my savings. And so I think law firms need to realise the value in people attending their firms. And then I think it's trying not to judge people in their attire you may not have the best suit in the world. You might have gone to Primark to get your suit jacket. So when law firms see you interview, don't necessarily think, oh, that's you know a bit of a crease there, a bit of a crease here. You need to take people for what they are. Accents as well. I've heard of people you know, feeling quite self-conscious about their regional accents. And I think there needs to be a real shift in opinion just because you're from a different area, you know, outside London, you don't have the most pristine accent. That doesn't matter. That doesn't take away any of your experiences. And so I think law firms need to recognise that. I think they need to expand their outreach initiatives to Northern Unis and non-Russell Group Unis. So I went to the University of Liverpool and I mentioned about the first Law Careers Fair that I went to and lawcareers.net were there. They handed me the handbook as I walked in, but not many top commercial firms were there. I look back now, I can't think of any. There might have been, but I personally can't think of any. And why were they not there? Do they think that candidates there aren't good enough? Is Are they not getting applications from these unis? Obviously, you know, it's not the case that they're not good enough at all. And so I think that law firms just need to increase the outreach initiatives, especially to non-Russell group unis. I've been quite fortunate with my A-level grades in terms of, you know, I've been able to apply to city firms. But people that necessarily didn't perform well at A-level but did at uni they can't apply. And I think that's such a huge barrier. And so I know that one city firm has already abolished their A-level requirements. And I think this is a step in the right direction. All of this is very true. And it's all part of a kind of ongoing conversation about diversity and inclusion. You know, I think a lot of firms are targeting non-Russell group unis now, which is great to see because, you know, there's so much talent in, in, in universities all over the UK. And I know for sure, having spoken to lots of recruiters who are considering or if not thinking about, you know, weighing down the value of A-level grades versus university grades, which I think is a really, really good step. And I think as well, you know, as you said, these these virtual events, firms have seen the value in them as, as well. And I don't think we're ever going to see a after the pandemic, you know, firm suddenly rushing back out again to physical events because you know it's actually just a waste of time for them traveling as well you say that you know of course it's it's money for students when they're going to these events but it's also money for for firms and you know when I went to Liverpool um to do a presentation you know I had a great day out but I didn't do any work and and it was just for a one-hour presentation whereas I've done two presentations this this year alone to Liverpool um Liverpool uni students just you know in an evening from the comfort of my room so I think you know access to information and these events 
going virtually has really opened doors for a lot of people and I don't see that changing and I, I know that firms have have seen the value in that as well so hopefully this is the start of of kind of yeah equal more equal opportunities for, for everyone which is great to see so more generally how do you think we can level the playing field for everyone I think this comes with the conversation surrounding profitability what does profitability mean for firms does this mean how enriched its people are you know it's its commitment to DNI. So I think that real change will come from linking partner bonuses to DNI and KPIs. How many people are they recruiting that are diverse? For example, how how many pe- black people are they recruiting? And how many of these actually remain at the firm? I think that this is crucial. And I think that this will I think real change comes from data-driven insights. And so this is a way for firms to showcase what they're good at showcase that they're taking a different stand to qualifying metrics that they stand for you know it's not all just about the bottom line I think the pandemic has sort of shifted our attention to alternative ways that we can judge success and so I think that when firms start to be more open with their data and how many people that they recruit I know they do this already but it's going that extra mile and saying this is what we're going to do about it that's when we can start to level the playing field I think that there's a lot that needs to be done surrounding mental health and disability. I think that firms are are sort of well on board with this now, you know, giving people mental health days and people are becoming first aider, mental health first aiders. And so I think that as as well with the virtual events, it's more disability inclusive. And so levelling the playing field for everyone means not only social mobility and, you know, black people and Asian people, minority ethnics, but also people that have mental and physical disabilities. I think this is left out of the question quite a lot. How are these people going to travel to London? You know, are they going to be too tired? And even in in vacation schemes for example how if you've got a disability are you going to be able to partake in all the events you know at one time I saw someone that came to an event and they weren't able to get around the office tour why aren't we making these accessible for people why aren't we treating people with um, respect so that they're able to come to these events these are all really good points and actually we've got a future podcast episode coming up with um, Demi Rickson who is a disabled candidate and she's had loads of experiences um, that she is very happy to share so I'm excited to be recording that with her to get her kind of insight on that but I agree it's about the data and you know hey firms aren't recording it why not and then it's just not as good it's not good enough to just record it and kind of group groups of people together it's being really specific and then it's like making targets and and then following up if you haven't met the targets I think a lot of firms just kind of publish their targets and then perhaps don't ever publish whether they've met those targets or if they haven't then what they're going to do so I think it's great for students to be calling to see that information it's it's your right to ask firms if you are applying to a firm and you are from an underrepresented background or you're a socially mobile candidate for example that's important to you start asking about that at interview you know the firms will and should be able to answer your questions to say if you say to them okay what support do you have for people you know to keep people in the business it's not just hiring it's keeping people in the business and supporting them throughout their career you know what initiatives you have what networks you have I have actually been very lucky in that I've been reading um, lots of firms have submitted to us what they've been doing because I uh, judge 
our Commendation for Diversity Awards. So I've seen some really, really good stuff. So, you know, do make sure you, you ask firms about it and make it part of your research if you if it is important to you, which I'm sure it is for, for everyone to have an, an inclusive and diverse workplace. So make sure if, if students start asking, candidates start demanding, seeing, seeing um, the data and seeing the, the answers, then that is a really good way to make a change. I think that's a good point. Definitely. And when you go to Legal Chic events, for example, they have different booths on the platform called Hopin. So you can speak to a partner in corporate, for example, you can speak to a partner in finance. And then they also have a DNI booth. And I always go straight to the DNI booth. And there's only about five of us there in comparison to 50 trying to speak to the partner from corporate. And I just think that this is kind of crazy because DNI is so important to me and I know that it's important to a lot of people and this is where you're getting the answers about you know we spoke about the culture of the firm and how I experienced that at White and Case and this is important you know these people are driving change they're organizing events outreach initiatives engagement solutions and so I think it's a real shame that more candidates don't go to talk to the diversity inclusion coordinators at firms, for example. I think that's a real lost opportunity because they, these people are giving you insight into what it's really like to work there because it's quite hard when you go to virtual events to get an idea of the culture, as you say, especially in comparison to in-person open days. I've been to both. And yeah, there is sort of that that gap between really understanding the culture and just that surface level um, sort of information that firms give you. And now a short message from our podcast sponsor, the University of Law. The University of Law will help you reach your ambitions by delivering an outstanding academic and employment focused experience, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. As soon as you begin your studies with the University of Law, you'll learn how to think and act like a lawyer. Whether your aspirations are in law or other fields, their courses will balance academic rigour and practical skills, so your career starts from day one. Find out more about studying at the University of Law with the link in the podcast description. How can socially mobile candidates harness and I guess even identify in the first place their strengths when applying for law firms? This is really tough, admittedly, because law firms will ask you, why you? And you think oh gosh, why me? You know, you you look at yourself and you think there are so many great candidates here, so why me? But this is such a bad thing to do because you have your own unique strengths. And part of the hard part about this is identifying them. But I think start with your experiences. If you are social mobile like me, you might have worked since 15. So I started working at a historic house near me. I worked in the estates department and the archives. And this showed me that I go out there and I seize opportunities from, I've seized opportunities from a young age. I'm committed to improving myself. And so start with your work experience opportunities and then move on to the qualities that these show. And then finally, how that makes you a good trainee solicitor. I can give another example where I worked at John Lewis for nearly four years. And so what does this show me? This shows me that I'm good at forming relationships with people because Quite frankly, they wouldn't have had me back so many times, you know, working throughout university if I hadn't have been a friendly, bubbly person. This shows me that I'm able to adapt to loads of different deadlines and cope with different timescales at once because I was working here at Christmas during the busy Christmas period and also having lots of exams and coursework to do. And so I think it's also so important to ask people around you. It's quite awkward for asking your family and friends, what am I actually like? 
because they'll give you a realistic example of when you've shown a certain quality. And so I think it's about starting with your work experience, moving on to what the qualities you can tease out of these and then finally how that makes you a good solicitor. Time and time again, I say to students the same thing, which is you don't necessarily need legal work experience to become a lawyer. What you need to do is have the key skills that law firms want to see, but you will have undoubtedly already have demonstrated them in all your non-law work experience. So you're working at John Lewis, you're you're working in a historic house, your part-time jobs that you've been doing through school or uni. That is where the core part of those skills can, can come from. And in fact, I think I've said this on so many podcast episodes now, but law firms really want to see that. And I've heard uh, I've heard recruiters say that actually if, if a student doesn't have a part-time job or hasn't had any non-legal work experience working in a small business or, or whatever you were doing then they will probably discount that person because they don't want someone who's just had one or two days in the law firm they want someone who's had commitment and shown resilience and time management and all those things you've just spoken about so you know it's good advice for absolutely everyone who is applying for a law firm to really dig deep on your non-law work experience and think about where you have demonstrated those key skills. And perhaps, if, as you said, if you are socially mobile, you have more, more experience and more stuff to talk about than, than anyone else. So definitely harness that. Exactly. When I first started applying, I thought that I needed to have done work experience at Chambers. I thought that I needed to go to court. And that's not the case at all. Law firms were interested in me playing netball. Law firms were interested in me when I was a youth advisor at Imperial War Museum. There's so many opportunities that you can talk about. Don't just think that you have to fit yourself into some corporate box of being this sort of robot. They actually want to see your personality. You know, if you, if you can make people laugh, that's your strength. And talk about that. It's just so boring when all you can talk about is law. You have to talk about things that you actually enjoy. You know, I love playing netball. And so that's what I spoke about. I love, you know, meeting people from different areas of the world. And I've had sort of experiences in that as well. And so when you go to a law firm and they they ask you, you know, when have you demonstrated resilience? Don't just talk about uni. Talk about a time that you dealt with a really difficult customer or, you know, just pick things that other candidates may not have experienced themselves or if they have experienced that doesn't matter you know if we've most of us have worked in retail but maybe those partners haven't worked in retail for a while so they don't remember just how stressful it can be so just remind them of how brilliant you are and how many opportunities that you have seized so a couple of questions why we still have you um i was wondering if there's one thing you wish you knew about pursuing a career in law that now you do because there are so many things that I wish I would have known back in 2017. But I think ultimately it's that your journey might not match other people's and that's completely fine. I've had two vacation scheme cycles and luckily I got my offer this year but in the first year I didn't and some of my friends did and I think that sometimes people look at themselves and they think that this is a criticism on themselves and their value and what they can give to a firm. You know are they good enough? And I think one thing that I wish I knew back in 2017 is your journey will be different to other people's and that's completely okay because if I would have got my training contract last year I wouldn't have had the most brilliant experience in my vacation scheme I've met such great friends you know real future colleagues and I think that I've changed a lot in this past year and so I think it's about seeing change as a positive thing and really taking this opportunity to say you know, I, I didn't secure a training contract when I graduated, 
but that's great because now I have some time before the next application cycle opens to better myself and so I went and paralegaled for a bit I've been doing commercial writing for the business update and the legal update I've spoken about being program coordinator at talk about and so it's about knowing that just because you haven't got a training contract in when you graduated in 2020 like I did that it's not the end of the world you know you will come across obstacles and part of being a social mobile candidate is having that grit and determination that perhaps other candidates from more traditional background backgrounds do not have and so rely on the fact that you are resilient. I know you've been reviewing some other candidates applications recently which is really great to see but you might have seen some common mistakes so what are some don'ts that you've recently seen? So firstly try not to use the passive tense try to use active verbs and active sentences don't tell a story try to tell them you know punchy reasons as to why you want to work here don't give them your life story second of all if a question asks why you don't start telling them why you want to work at the firm genuinely they want to know about you I think that candidates often misread what the question is actually asking so if a question asks give me an example when you've demonstrated time management they're not looking for a time that I don't know you've spoken to someone at the firm and they've demonstrated time management they're talking about you so my top tip for trying to work on this is highlighting important parts of the question I know that this sounds really basic but then once you've written your answer for example color code it go back in your answer and highlight in that same color where you've answered the question so for example if we are talking about time management highlight that in purple and when you've specifically mentioned that in your answer highlight that in purple when they talk about communication different color you get the idea use highlighters and format your work properly I think a big no-go is a structure that is a little bit incoherent this is quite difficult to achieve, but you may have heard of the STAR technique. So situation, task, action, result. And this is a really effective way of structuring your answers so that they have a little introduction at the beginning, how to answer the question. Then you move on to the task at hand. What did you actually have to do? Action. This is where the bulk of your answer will come in, not on the result, but in the action. How did you overcome obstacles, for example, and achieve your goal? Result try and give a statistic don't just tell them and in the end this is all a success try to say how it was a, a success did you get a good review how did you know that and so I would say those are my three key pieces of advice when candidates are going about writing applications I think that's excellent advice and all things that I have repeatedly echoed <laughs> and also mentioned in the I actually did a we did the last episode was application do's and don'ts yeah. and I said that exact same thing students always uh, rush in and maybe even start answering a different question because they haven't read it properly so nice to hear that echoed again it's not just me saying it so thank you very very much a massive thank you to Emily for chatting with me I really enjoyed recording with her earlier and hope that her honesty and experiences inspire you all if you're interested in finding out more, you can read her article for Law Careers Net, which is linked in the podcast description, and she is happy to be connected with on LinkedIn too. That's all from us this month. Good luck in your exams if you have them, and we'll see you next month for another episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.